0: This past summer, we had the great good fortune to go to Israel with 72 members of our KI community. It was a fantastic, amazing trip, if in the middle of a heat wave. And on that trip, we spent lots of time talking as a community. And one conversation that happened on that bus um, I found particularly moving. It was a conversation between the mother of a 17-year-old teenager uh, and a leader in our community. And the mom was talking to this leader in our community saying, you know, I just I wish I could get my daughter to services, but she doesn't believe in God, she tells me all the time, and so she won't come. And so this leader in our community, in all seriousness, turned to her and said, what does God have to do with coming to services at KI? That is not the point of coming to services at KI. It's not about God. And the woman said, well, then what in the world is the synagogue community about? And she said, we are Reconstructionists. A Reconstructionist community is about connecting with each other. It's about connecting with each other in light of all of those things that our tradition tells us are important to be about. And this mom on the bus started to cry because she said, I wish someone had said that to my daughter when she was younger. So another parent in our community who has a 10-year-old who's supposed to have a bar mitzvah in two years, so they were talking about dates for the bar mitzvah, when the son told him, Dad, I don't want to have a bar mitzvah. And the father said, Why not? And the son said, Because I don't believe in God. And it would be silly for me to stand on the bima and stand with the Torah and do all of this stuff when I don't even believe any of it. So the father, not knowing what to do, uh, brought his son to me. He said, okay, you don't have to have a bar mitzvah, but you have to have a meeting with the rabbi. So he brought his 10-year-old to me, and we had a conversation. And so the 10-year-old, after we visited so he could be comfortable talking with me, that I said, so what's this with the bar mitzvah? What's happening with the bar mitzvah? You don't want a bar mitzvah. He says, no, I don't want a bar mitzvah. I said, how come? And he said, well, because I don't believe that God created the world in seven days. I said, Me neither. And he said, I think creation happened at the Big Bang. I said, me too. He said, well, I don't believe God gave Moses the whole Torah on Sinai. I said, me neither. And he said, I actually think the Torah was written by people. I said, me too. So we got into a very long conversation. If that wasn't the God that I didn't believe in, then what was the God language I was using about What was this God business if it didn't mean coming down on a mountain or punishing people and rewarding people and looking down and making decisions about people's lives? If God wasn't a being with consciousness, why go to services? Why have a bar mitzvah? Why pray? Why become part of community? I don't think, and since I gave this sermon earlier today, I've heard, in fact, several more people tell me that this is not a question that's irrelevant for us, particularly as progressive Jews, as non-fundamentalist people of a faith tradition, what does it mean to be about something at this time of year, to be about these high holy days? What does it mean to be part of a community where God so often is accused of of being at the center? When I started asking this question about how many of us really struggle with this issue of God and whether or not we truly believe, whatever that might mean. I saw while reading Psychology Today an article called The Atheist at the Breakfast Table about atheists and agnostics who are joining churches and synagogues in record numbers. Then I heard uh, on On Being, a radio wonderful radio show with Krista Tippett. It used to be Speaking of Faith. Uh, she had an interview with the Swiss philosopher Alain de Botton, And de Botton is an avowed atheist. He lives in the UK. And as an avowed atheist, he has founded a congregation called the School of Life. Because de Botton argues that we need the things that religion has. What we don't need is the doctrine. What we don't need is to say, okay, we're going to believe what our religious tradition tells us that hasn't changed from time immemorial to now. He said, because in our modern secular society, he says, we've actually secularized badly. He said, the modern secular education system is based on the idea that life is essentially a kind of fairly easy process to get through. So you need to teach people certain skills for the modern economy, like accountancy and microbiology and all of this sort of stuff. He said, but what you don't need to teach them is how to live, because how to live is fairly obvious. All you need to do is separate yourself from your parents, bring up some children, maybe find a job you like, deal with mortality, all of those really easy things. Then you confront your own death, and it's really all just very simple. You don't need guidance. That's the supposition we've made. He said, so you're supposed to know this stuff, and my question is, how? I don't know this stuff. And the fascinating starting point of religions, all religions, is they start from the idea that we don't know how to live, and so they need to teach us wisdom. To me, nothing could be more true. He said it would be fine if when we walked around in this secular world, that there were no messages coming at us all the time. Okay, so maybe we would start to figure some stuff out, maybe not, but... We are bombarded, he says, with messages all the time. And anyone in this room with children knows how scary some of the messages that our children are getting really are. So he says it is important for us to place ourselves as a community, as individuals, as part of community, in a place where we will get lots of messages about righteousness and goodness and lots of messages about how to improve ourselves, how to improve our relationships, and how to improve our lives, and as a result, how to improve the society in which we live. And he says one of the things that religions do well is that they arrange a calendar. They arrange time. He says all major religions give us calendars. A calendar is a way of making sure that across the year, you will bump into certain very important ideas. He said, we don't think that way. In the secular world, we think if an idea is important, I'll bump into it. I'll just come across it. Nonsense, says the religious view. We need calendars. We need structure. We need to structure time. And we need to synchronize our encounters with those important ideas. So that's what we're doing here. That's what we're doing here. This was Hashanah, through the 10 days of repentance into Yom Kippur what we're doing is we're bumping into a really important idea that our tradition has to teach. His words about this day, the Day of Atonement, are, it's a fascinating moment in the calendar in Judaism where people essentially say sorry to each other. You're given license, encouragement, structure to do something which would be mightily hard if you were left on your own, like, as I say, saying sorry. It's much easier to say sorry if everybody's doing it on a particular day because then there's a sort of cycle of mutual apology and forgiveness which makes the whole thing much more normal. We're very suspicious of ritual in the non-believing world, he says. You know, we think that there shouldn't be rituals, that the private life should have its own rhythms, and that no one should come in from the outside and say, today we're going to say sorry, and in a bit we're going to celebrate spring, and after that we're going to think about the ideal of humility. The idea is that you should do all this on your own and in private. I'm coming around to the view that that's nice in theory, but the problem is we'll never get round to it. It's awfully hard to decide of a Tuesday afternoon that this is the day you're going to pick up the phone and make that hard phone call. It's really hard to do in isolation, to open difficult conversations about the ways that we know we have failed ourselves and each other. But when a wisdom tradition arranges sacred time so that we smack into that idea at the same time together and we know everybody else is doing it, it opens up all kinds of possibilities. That is what this season, with or without, a God concept is really about. In the prayers that we're about to read together, the Liturgy of Rosh Hashanah, Unetana Tokev, Kidushatayom, Tayom, and Berosh Hashanah Yikatevun, the traditional understanding of that liturgy is about reward and punishment to some degree, to some degree about the fact that God decrees for us a year of blessing or a year of bad things. That is not a Reconstructionist understanding of that liturgy. But there is a way to reconstruct that liturgy because each of us in this sanctuary knows that we are frail, we are fragile, we are mortal, and therefore we have no idea what will happen in the coming year. At the end of that liturgy, we are told, Utushuva, Utfila, Utaka, Ma'avirinitroa Hagazerah. The rabbis tell us that teshuvah, tefillah, and tzedakah, and usually what you will read in English next is cancel the evil decree. But that's not the Hebrew. If you listen carefully to the Hebrew, ma'avirin, what do those three things, ma'avirin, what do they cancel out? They cancel out roa ha the evil of the decree. What is the gezerah? What is the decree in our reconstructionist understanding? The decree is that we're human. The decree is that we're fallible, that we have a limit to what we can do, to how long we'll be here, to how long we'll be in good health, to how long we'll be able to keep doing the right thing without missteps. That's the Gezerah. Teshuvah, tefillah, and sedaka can. They can. They really can, with or without a God concept. They can make that less evil for us. It doesn't change what will befall us. Sitting at the bedside of a 10-year-old, seriously ill, 10-year-old. That is evil. It shouldn't happen. But what can get us through that are relationships that are strong and resilient and filled with honesty and compassion and love and grace and caring. The process of teshuva allows us to have those kinds of relationships allows us to deepen our relationships because it allows us to repair them and to let go at this new year of the ways we have failed one another. Tefillah, you might think you have to have a God's concept for tefillah to mean anything. But the root of the word tefillah is lehit palel. And in the words of Samson, Raphael Hirsch, Lehit Palel, originally meant to deliver an opinion about oneself, to judge oneself. Thus it denotes to step out of active life in order to gain a true judgment about oneself. You've chosen to come here today to step out of your normal life, to step out of kind of the bombarding of information and sound and movement, to come here and get in touch with the truth, about yourself at this new year. That is the first step to living better and differently. From Rabbi Avi Weiss, a modern Orthodox rabbi who studied with over 300 of us rabbis at the Board of Rabbis Day of Study, preparing for these High Holy Days, Rabbi Weiss had a beautiful teaching. He quoted his teacher, Rabbi Ed Feld, and I had never heard this teaching before, that the root of Lahit Palel might be Pilel, found in Genesis. When Jacob tells Joseph, "Reo panecha lo pilalti," I never hoped to see your face. If "pilel" is the root of tefillah, "pilel" to hope, "lehit palel in Hebrews, reflexive—it's a reflexive verb—then might tefillah mean something about hoping in oneself, truly hoping that we can fulfill our potential? Because when there's real hope, there's real energy. Around moving forward into change. Tfilin can be from the root Nafal, says Rabbi Eliezer Berkovitz. It is like the child running to the mother, he writes, when hurt, not for the bandage, but for the comfort of the closeness of one who the child knows loves her beyond any doubt. Nafal, to fall into trust that we are loved by those around us who know us best, the people we trust the most. The comfort of being together, the comfort of connecting to something when we pray, something holy and deep within each of us with a room full of people doing the same thing. Sdaka, the last of the three. We don't wish each other Happy New Year like we do in the secular world. We say it in English because we're of the secular world. What do we wish each other in Hebrew? Shana tova. We wish each other a good year. Because good is different from happy. Happy New Year is very American. Have a happy New Year. We celebrate. Happy New Year. Judaism is a little tougher. Have a good year. We have to be good we have to do good, we have to do tzedakah. There is no word for charity in our tradition. We have to do tzedakah from the root sedek, justice, righteousness. We must do acts of righteousness within our communities. That's why you're gonna go home and fill up those bags you got mailed. If you didn't get mailed a bag, find one, fill it. Because last year our acts of righteousness came up with 31 tons of food to be delivered to the food insecure here in L.A. We want, because it's Rachel Jeffer running the thing, she wants 32 tons, of course, this year. It was light this morning, I was told, how much food came, so we need you to double what you're planning on bringing, that we can feed children, children in our city who go to sleep hungry. You will find JWW material on our website community table, I urge you to take it, find a way to reach past our LA community and reach other suffering people in this world, in Congo, and Darfur, and Sudan, there are so many places in this world that need our help so that we can live in Tzedakah into righteousness. There's ways to be involved at KI in our social action and social justice committees, Our wisdom tradition tells us that we must act. We can't just wish. We must act to make this world better and whole. That's why we come to services. That's why we gather Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. I'll close with the words of Rabbi Stuart Weinblatt, who wrote, Here in the synagogue, we can, as a community, express our moral outrage at the complicity of the world in the shedding of innocent lives. Here, we can condemn the carnage that is going on and see the parallels to the Jewish experience throughout the millennia and to understand the Jewish imperative to act. We come together as a synagogue to understand how the calling of our tradition, our prophets and sages applies to the realities of today. Sometimes, what we're searching for and how to carry on that search seems unclear. But our common quest brings us together. The idea of coming together in our search reminds me of the Helm story about the man who was looking for a purse that he lost. A friend offered to help and asked him where he lost it. He said he lost it in the field. So if you lost your wallet in the field, why are you looking over here by the barn? And the friend replied, because over here by the barn, the light is better. Here in the synagogue, we can search somewhat better because we have more light when we search together in the company of others and in the light of our ancient and noble heritage. Here we find a community of seekers with whom we can share our joys and sorrows. As we go into this new year that holds we know not what, may we be strengthened as a community in the light of our tradition, strengthened to celebrate fully our joys and to hold one another up during our sorrows. I wish you Shana Tova a good year.